LMP Connect. My name is Josiah. And I am Cole. Today we are going to be talking about astronomy arguments. My argument is, could Pluto still be a planet? And mine, should we continue to explore space? And our guest today is Dr. Sean Hendrick. Hello, Mr. Hendrick. Thank you for coming today. Hello, uh, my name is Sean Hendrick. I'm the chair of the physics department at Millersville University and Millersville's resident astronomer. So I'm always happy to come in and talk to people about their astronomy questions. Thank you for coming in today. And uh, here's our first question. What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a faculty member at Millersville University, so I teach undergraduate classes to our students there. My main responsibilities are introductory astronomy, where I have a lot of non-science major students that are interested in learning about the universe. And it's a broad overview course for people that aren't too technical. But I also teach uh, several upper-level, more technical courses, like electromagnetism and mathematical physics and astrophysics. But uh, on top of that, I also mentor students on research projects. And as chair of the department, I have to work the schedule and do some administrative stuff. So it keeps me pretty busy. Uh, like, what criteria for a cholesterol body to be considered a planet? Well, the International Astronomical Union, which is the governing body that all the other scientific organizations said you have the power to name things and decide how things are named, they came up with the definition at their meeting in 2006, which is the one that ejected Pluto from the Planetary Club. Now, at that meeting, they came up with a resolution called Resolution 5. And it states that a planet is a celestial body that orbits the sun, I think we all kind of knew that one, is spherical in shape. Now what that means is the planet has enough gravity to pull itself into a sphere because gravity is what we call an inverse square law force, so at the same distance away it should be the same. Many asteroids are irregularly shaped because the strength of the rock is stronger than gravity trying to pull it into a sphere because uh, they're small. But when we have a large enough object, it can pull itself gravitationally into a sphere. And that's one of the definitions of a planet. And the other is it's cleared out its orbital path. And that's the one they kind of use to get rid of Pluto, because there's a lot of other things in Pluto's orbit. And then they define a, a dwarf planet with the same criteria. Orbits the sun, spherical in shape, is not a satellite of something else, doesn't orbit around anything else. So that eliminates a lot of the large moons in the solar system and has not cleared out its orbital path. And then they declared Pluto being a dwarf planet. Because out where Pluto orbits, there's a whole bunch of other objects out there. Pluto is one of tens of thousands of objects that orbit beyond Neptune that we collectively refer to as the Kuiper Belt. And Pluto was the first one discovered, so we thought it was a planet for a long time. It doesn't diminish Pluto's importance at all, and the ruling could be better, but they haven't challenged it at their past few meetings. Uh, and this is uh, what we're going with today. Um, like, how do you feel about Pluto being changed to a dwarf planet? And, like, why do you feel that way? Well, at first I was shocked like everyone else because I learned that my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. You know, that was the mnemonic that people would teach us to remember the order of the planets going from the sun. And I guess we have to eat noodles now. It's not nine pizzas. We have to stop at N. 
But it does make logical sense, because we kept on finding things out beyond Neptune, and that was fine. Pluto was still king. But in 2003, we found something, and it was announced in 2005, an object orbiting beyond Neptune that was larger than Pluto. At least the initial estimates had it larger than Pluto. And that's what really brought this question to the fore. Do we make that a planet? It's bigger than Pluto. If Pluto's a planet, should that be a planet? It caused so much controversy, we actually named the planet Eris after the Greek goddess of strife and conflict because it caused so much conflict in the community. People are still very upset about it, but the name doesn't matter. It's, it's out there and it's interesting. And those pictures that New Horizons sent back a few years ago really increased our understanding of, and awe of Pluto. I don't know if you have if you've seen the new pictures, but that is what Pluto looks like. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a beautiful image. In the New Horizon images, NASA uploads everything online, and you can find vast archives of all these pictures. Do you think that there are still scientific arguments that Pluto could still be a planet? Well, there's one being made currently. A planetary scientist is putting forth an idea to reclassify things, and he just wants spherical to be the only definition. But that, his theory is going to bring in about 102 planets. We're going to add a bunch of the moons, a bunch of the larger moons to the list, like Jupiter's Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, and Saturn's Titan, and uh, a lot of the objects out beyond Neptune. So it's, uh, it's still being debated. But I, I thought the one thing I told you you should look into is the dwarf planet Ceres. Ceres was the first object discovered orbiting the sun between Mars and Jupiter. And we named it after the goddess of the harvest, Ceres. But then in 1800, it was heralded as the ninth planet. But from 1800 to 1850, we kept on finding more and more things between Mars and Jupiter. And what do we call the region between Mars and Jupiter now? The asteroid belt. The asteroid belt, exactly. Ceres was the first asteroid we found. And then we realized it's just the king of the asteroids. There's millions of things between Mars and Jupiter. And that kind of parallels the development with Pluto. So by 1850, Ceres was demoted to king of the asteroids. Uh, but we, we just went there, too, with a mission, and that's still interesting to study. And we found interesting deposits on its surface and maybe indicates past volcanism. It's real interesting. When Ceres was demoted to asteroid, was, when it was turned into a dwarf planet, was it more of a, like, increase or more of a demote? Which, well, it's more of a step to the side. It's not up and down. There's nothing that makes planets better than dwarf planets. Um, the planets are different, but if we look at our solar system, we've got these four small rocky worlds close to the sun, and we have these four large hydrogen worlds, the gas giants in the outer solar system. And in between the two, we have the asteroids, and beyond the gas giants, we have the Kuiper Belt, and beyond that, the Oort Cloud. Um, do you have any arguments that sh Pluto should still be a planet? No, I don't. I think the right decision was made, but there are still a lot of astronomers, especially planetary scientists, who feel very strongly about it. It's still certainly a, a hot-button issue for the general public as well. But for astronomers, we just had to draw a line and say, because if, if Pluto's a planet, then Eris has to be a planet, and then maybe Ceres should be a planet, and then things kind of get out of hand. All right, so... Uh how do you feel about de going deeper into space, and why? Well, I think that as a famous uh, Russian uh, astronomer once said, Earth is the cradle of civilization. One does not spend one's lifetime in the cradle. 
I think for humanity, we have to get out there. And I want us out there exploring and setting up colonies. And we have to be able to figure out the technology to get there. We can barely leave our own planet, let alone our solar system. But I think that, you know, I grew up with science fiction. It's really what got me into astronomy, reading the books of Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein, watching Star Trek and Star Wars. And I really feel that the best place for humanity to go is to go out there together, all, all the countries together, all our languages, all our cultures, you know, and take that out there and just be human. So, uh, how do you um, feel about the recent discovery of the seven new Earth-like planets in TRAPPIST-1? Well, uh, a lot of us who have been following it for a while were kind of amused by the public latching on to this one. Because the discovery of TRAPPIST was definitely a very interesting solar system, and it really seemed to catch the public's eye. But you have to understand that before 1995, we hadn't discovered any planets around any other stars. In 1995, we finally discovered a planet that we call uh, around the star 51 Pegasus, and we call it 51 Pegasus B. But the TRAPPIST-7 are among the 3,604 planets we found orbiting other stars. Now, a lot, a lot of them are gas giants. They're kind of easier to detect. But we're finding more and more small terrestrial-like worlds that are in the habitable zone where liquid water could exist on the surface. So the count is just going up and up, and we now recognize that a star with a planet around, with planets around it, is the building block of the universe. So that that encourages me. That means there's got to be more life out there. There's got to be other civilizations out there somewhere, and uh, we want to be a part of that intergalactic community. I think that's where humanity needs to go. So yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited about everyone else getting excited about the planets, but I hope they realize how much work has been going on for years to discover planets around other stars. And I thought it was really exciting we found one around Proxima Centauri, which is the nearest, our next door neighbor. It's the closest star to us besides the sun, and that's got a planet. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. Um, some new calculations of TRAPPIST are maybe dialing back the expectations now that they might not be habitable. Some might be too hot, some might be too cold, but that's what we find in the solar system. That's why we also call the habitable zone uh, the Goldilocks zone. You know, Venus is too hot, Mars is too cold, Earth just right. Yeah. Okay, uh, do you think it will ever be possible to send human beings onto other planets? If so, what are the steps um, we need to take to get there? Well, the first thing we have to worry about is protecting our astronauts. Uh, the Earth is protected by a magnetic field, and that magnetic field diverts a lot of harmful radiation away from us. One of my old professors when I was a student at the University of Virginia, Larry Frederick, he had worked on the Apollo program, and he was one of the team of six ast astronomers who charted the sun's solar flare cycle and made sure the sun wasn't getting ready to throw out a vast amount of solar radiation that would have done a lot of harm to the astronauts. But we know that flares come from certain areas of the sun, and the sun takes about a month to spin around. So once those areas pass by and they're no longer a danger to the Earth and the moon, then they told the mission control, we've got a launch window here. We've got about three weeks where we can go up to the moon and come back, and there won't be any flares. And that's why we don't do much human spaceflight beyond the radiation, beyond the Earth's magnetic field, because it can be harmful if the astronauts aren't protected. So first we have to protect them. Then we have to find better means of propulsion, more energy efficient means of, of propulsion to get to move around faster. 
But I have no doubt. I have great um, respect and hope for the human spirit and human ingenuity, and people will step up and solve these problems. Governments are working on it. Private companies are working on it. And I think collectively together, there's nothing that humanity can't do. So uh, should we continue to fund NASA to explore space? We should fund NASA to explore space, and we should also continue to fund Ma NASA to understand our own planet, because there's the most important. And we ha are very concerned that recently there has sort of been a move to take away the Earth science funding of NASA and focus on deep space. We've got to do the complete picture. We can't understand other systems and other atmospheres without fully understanding our own and how that cycle works. So by studying our own planet and studying our own sun, that gives us a better understanding of other planets and other suns. Um, like, How long have you been working with astronomy and astronomers and stuff? Well, about when I was your guys' age, I really got interested in astronomy. I, uh, my family had a beach house in Jersey, and we'd go to in the summertime. And I would just love sitting up on the beach at night and learning the constellations and teaching myself the constellations. And now you guys have great tools to be able to do this. There's a, I have an app on my phone. I can point at the sky, and it tells me what's, what constellations are up and what planets are visible. So just looking up at the sky as a young man, I, I got really inspired uh, by astronomy. And I was also always really good at math and science. And that's important to be a professional scientist is being strong in those areas. But really, all my life, I was interested in astronomy. And when I found out people get paid to do that professionally, I realized that's the job for me. So my goal throughout college and graduate school was to get my uh, degree in astronomy and then go somewhere and, and share that knowledge. And uh, I was happy to end up at Millersville, and I really enjoy teaching there and talking about astronomy. And then when did you start teaching at Millersville? I started teaching at Millersville in 2005. So I've been there about 12 years now. Um, certainly enjoying my experience there. Before that, I was uh, had a one-year job at a place called Drew University in Jersey, and before that, I was in graduate school for a number of years studying uh, supernova explosions, stars that blow up. Is kind of my area of research uh, with X-rays. The Chandra Space Telescope has done a lot of great observations. So I've been working in astronomy basically in grad school. You start becoming a professional. So since about 1995, I've been uh, a professional astronomer. Um, and then you've kind of told us this already, but what was the main reason and how did you come to work with astronomy? Well, you know, when, at some point in high school, you know, your teacher asks you to you know, talk about someone you admire in a field you might like to get into. And this was just about the time the Hubble Space Telescope was being launched. And I subscribed to astronomy magazines. Magazines are like podcasts, except they came in the mail and they were on paper, for those of you that don't know what a magazine is. But anyway, I would get a subscription to Astronomy Magazine and study the star charts every month, and they did a great article on Edwin Hubble and his incredible work in the 1920s, really revolutionizing our understanding of the universe. So I did my profile about him and uh, read up on him, and thought that's... That's for me. That's the kind of thing. I want to be part of a discovery like that. I want to be, I want students, I mean, at some point, every scientist dreams of having an equation named after them or a unit named after them and having students years later have to learn about the work that they did. So that's the dream and that's cool, but just always loving science. And as I mentioned, it does also go back to childhood. And I love Star Trek and I love, and I thought Spock was the greatest. Logic, intellect, science. That was, uh, that was key for me. Well, uh, thank you for coming. Yes. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here with you. Eight planets in our solar system? Wrong. There's really nine. <laughs> Actually, there's ten. Um, 
Ten? Duh, Pluto. Oh, um, there's a possibility of ten planets in our solar system. What do you mean a possibility? Space, a mysterious void of stars and planets. Should we explore it, or should we not? Personally, I think we should. I agree with you, Cole, but I would like to say, why should we explore space? <laughs> First off, I'd like to say space is cool, right? Yes. But I'd like to argue that, number one, we could find Earth-like planets. Number two, space exploration can answer the big questions. And finally, we can make sure the world is safe. The world is never safe enough. Could you expand on these topics? Alright, so first, there's a possibility that we can find other habitable planets. Why is finding them important? Because there are too many people! Overpopulation is a big problem in society today. But if we find other habitable planets, we could move people from one habitable planet to the other. Therefore, making the Earth less populated, um, there's also pollution and climate change to worry about. Yikes. That does sound bad. However, it does make sense. Next, answering the big questions, like are we alone? It's the most well-known question. Are there more resources to add to the periodic table? Another question is, how does the universe work? I don't know. How does the universe work? That's what I'm saying, Jojo. Finally, world security. What do you mean? Like asteroid tracking. Um... We can track asteroids and determine where and when they will hit using satellites. Space exploration can help us better understand our planet, looking at other habitable planets and studying them. Lastly, we can use satellites to monitor other militaries and make sure there's no World War III. Space exploration near and far is very important because we can find other habitable planets, answer the big questions, and it can help us keep the Earth safer. Space exploration is not only cool, but very important. It's too small. It doesn't meet all the requirements. These are all reasons why people say that Pluto isn't a planet. But that's when you're looking at the obvious. What do you see when you look closely? Although labeled a dwarf planet in 2006, Pluto could be changed back to a real planet. Because Pluto could possibly be considered Earth-like. Pluto has an atmosphere almost as thick as the Earth's, and you could consider that the planet requirements are flawed. Wait, Pluto's atmosphere is, like, almost as big as the Earth's? Yeah, it's amazing, right? <laughs> First off, after the flyby of Pluto, New Horizons found what looked like shield volcanoes 1,000 feet across. Plus, most people think that Pluto is a big slash small gas ball. However, it's actually 70% rock on the inside. 70%? Yep. Also, you know how Earth has the water cycle? Yeah. Well, Pluto has a cycle just like that, though they still don't know what the actual molecule is. Whoa. Did you know that Pluto has an atmosphere and Mercury doesn't? Even though Pluto has a smaller gravitational pull than the moon, it at least has an atmosphere, unlike Mercury. Not only does Pluto have an atmosphere, it's almost as thick as the Earth's. Pluto's atmosphere consists of mainly nitrogen and small amounts of methane and carbon monoxide. Well, that's crazy. I know, and there's more. Pluto may not meet all the planet requirements, but if other planets were put into Pluto's position, they might not meet all the requirements either. Pluto is farthest from the sun and doesn't get enough energy to clear its neighborhood. Requirements are flawed! That does make sense. Like I said, Pluto could still be a planet. It's Earth-like, 
It's got an atmosphere almost as big as the Earth's, and it doesn't have a fair chance to be equal with the other planets. I believe pretty strongly that Pluto is a planet, even if it technically isn't. Boom! End of face. Remember that time we talked about ten planets? That tenth planet was Pluto, and that ninth planet was Planet Nine. No duh, Sherlock. No, seriously, that's its name. Well, for now. Why? Because they haven't confirmed it being a planet yet. Oh, but but why? <sighs> Thanks for listening. And a special thank you to Dr. Sean Hendrick for helping us with our arguments. Tune in to LMP Connect. For more student podcasts. Bye, guys.